This episode is brought to you by Hexpoint, the new side-scrolling shoot-'em-up for the PC from Notokoi Games. Hexpoint takes place in the not-too-distant future when a shadowy organization is developing new fuels from dark energy and accidentally rips a hole in our dimension. The ripple leaves a shattered version of Earth ripe with interdimensional conquerors, and our new enemies will stop at nothing until the world is under their control. Hexpoint, part bullet hell, part hack and slash, and all fun. Hexpoint offers seven worlds, 12 unique characters, and over 70 upgrades. Fight endless hordes, unlock powerful and devastating weapons, with multiple play modes. Customize your loadout and prepare for heart-pounding, action-packed insanity. Destroy enemies. Destroy the world. Destroy everything. Can you reach the heck point? Play now on Steam Early Access for PC and get the game PC Gamer calls way more brutal than its name. Heck point. Heck point. From Notakoi Games. Download today. Let me talk to the storytellers for a second. You know who you are. Crafting a story that captures the imaginations and the hearts of your audience is no small task. Stacks of notes, timelines, maps, character profiles. The architecture of storytelling can be a daunting prospect. Introducing Archivos, the story development tool for today's storytellers. With Archivos, storytellers don't just document the characters, places, and events of their stories. They define the relationships between those story elements and then visualize those connections through unique story mapping interfaces like the living map, the timeline, and the story web. By giving storytellers the ability to see and interact with that network of story elements, Archivos helps ensure story comprehension and continuity while providing a dramatic and engaging way for fans to explore the story worlds they love. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated. This is author Raymond V. Feist. Hi, this is R. Scott Baker. This is Anthony Ryan. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show. Delilah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media Group. This is David Anthony Durham. Hi, this is Melanie Metters. Hi, this is Brian Stavely. Hello, this is Jesse Bullington slash Alex Marshall. Hi, this is Jeff Salyards. Hi, this is Michael R. Fletcher. The Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes Steven Erickson to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward it's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Overby, and today will be a grim gaming episode in which we'll be discussing the turn-based strategy game Battle Brothers, which allows you to lead a mercenary company in a low fantasy world. Today's guest calling in from Hamburg, Germany, is in charge of business and marketing for developer Overhype Studios. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Jan Tox to the show. Thanks for coming today, Jan. Hey there, thanks a lot for having me. So, uh, I've been playing this game for about a month now, and it's uh, quickly risen to the top of one of my favorite games of the year. I really enjoy the the feeling of it, and the ability to control a mercenary company is kind of like a dream come true for me. I've always been a mercenary at heart, I guess. 
<laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about the game and then we'll add some more description to it and get it fleshed out for the listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, so the core of the game is, is basically two layers of gameplay. Um, you're in a low, low power fantasy world. You're playing as a, a human mercenary captain and you're in charge of this very small mercenary band. So to make it really short, you, you um, wander across the land, you, you hire new guys for your company and you're looking for contracts to take on. Like people are being harassed by monsters in some village and pay you to fight them off or uh, basically anything that a mercenary would do in such a situation to survive. And um, you have a um, overworld map, a strategic map where you manage your resources, your supplies, your food and uh, your company. And then you have a tactical combat element where you have a hex-based um, game plan with a different height levels and everything, and you can place your units and um, try to beat the enemy, be it undead or orcs or whatever, um, in a um, turn-based uh, tactical combat. And it's very, it's intended to be very brutal and uh, very bloody. So you will lose um, a lot of guys. And if somebody gets killed on your team, he's gone. So it's not like in most computer games where they just, you know, um, are wounded and then recover. But, um, yeah, you can actually lose the people. So uh, we wanted to give it a, a very dark um, and, and very deadly sense of um, yeah, feeling about it. So this has obviously happened to me uh, several times playing the game. Um, I've had my uh, my members get eaten or uh, their heads cut off or some, some horrible fate happened to them. E- either that or they just really got their asses kicked like completely. And then, and then I'm kind of like, oh shit, what am I? What am I going to do? Like all my crew is completely wrecked and I have to finish this contract. So there's a lot of balancing what, what you should do next to, you know, repair your equipment or should I take a rest for a while and get my, get my guys going again or should I hire some new people? So there's a lot of decisions to make in the game and. That's uh, one thing I really like about it. Um, yeah, uh, w- w- one design goal that we had when we made the game was to, we call it the freedom to fail. <laughs> and the game is, is very, it's, it's a, a sandbox game. So you're not following a linear story. Um, you're basically thrown into this world that is randomly generated each time you start a new game. And uh, then you are basically in charge of your own uh, fate. It can be very tricky because it's you, you are not getting um, your hand uh, guided by the game, but you have to, to find out for yourself. But on the other hand, that gives a lot of freedom to the players to to really play the game how they wanted to play and uh, be the mercenary captain that they want to be and uh, give them maximum freedom and choice. Yeah, that's uh, definitely that. the feeling I got is that you can kind of wander and discover uh, things like a real company would do. You wouldn't necessarily you know, know where to go if you were a mercenary company. You're kind of wandering the land looking for work, and I like that element of it. You never know what's going to pop up around the corner or the next contract you're going to get, or if you're going to have enough food to make it to the next town or all of these kind of things are really cool features that give, give the game a lot of replay value. I think. Yeah. In that regard, it's, it's also the game is designed to be played multiple times. So it's, it's not meant to be like it. You just start at one time and then you finish it with no problems. 
it's um, it's it's also like a learning experience, and and it, it's basically our goal was to create stories from the gameplay. It's not about being the best in the game or the, uh, ranking the highest score or something, but it's for the players to experience unique stories. And if two people meet who, who play the game, we wanted them to share completely different stories, although they've basically played the same game. But because it plays out so differently every time, and um, that is why failure can come quickly, but you should be encouraged to, you know, start over. Okay, this time I'm going to do things different. I'm going to equip my people with different weapons or hire different people, and you, you have a, a, a progression. Before we go any further, uh, can we talk a little bit about where you can actually buy the game so people are uh, not confused what kind of game it is and where you can buy it? Um, yeah, it's a, a PC-only game, and uh, you can uh, most conveniently get it at Steam, at the Steam store online, or you can buy it on our website. But, uh, or on uh, Humble Store and also on uh, Good Old Games, the GOG store. And that is um, there you can actually buy the game and download it. There are a lot of people who don't really like Steam. And um, for those, we are also have it on GOG. Yeah, that's actually where I bought it was GOG. I, I, use, okay. I use that for a lot of uh, different games. And uh, yeah, so I just wanted to get that, make that clear. So nobody, nobody was like, oh, I want to get this for blah, blah, blah system or whatever. We, it's PC only uh, at the yes. moment. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about creatures because we're big fans of creatures here on the show. Uh, you have a plethora of German influenced creatures that some might not be completely familiar with. Uh, some of the names are not common for English speakers, maybe. Uh, are, are these some monsters from German folklore? And uh, how important was it researching these creatures for designing Battle Brothers? Well, when we started out, we started with the basic fantasy creatures that are very well known to most people. Like you have um, goblins, orcs, and undead. Um, but as, as, we, as we continue to develop the world, we wanted to give it more character. And we thought like um, the folklore in general, and especially in Germany, there are so many crazy monsters in, in all those old stories that have a lot of character and are very unique. And we wanted to to add them to the game to 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 give it more of more flavor and to make it stand out more and i think it adds to the world it, it gives a sense of 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 a an actual place and and adds a bit bit of history for example we have a one character or one enemy it's called the nachtzehrer and the nachtzehrer is usually a um from the folklore, it was uh, people who you put in the grave and they was, would come out of the grave again. And uh, Nachtseher in Germany means to eat something and they would eat their own, um, their own, uh, the blanket, the death blanket on their, on their corpse. Mm. And they would eat that and live from that and uh, roam the world. So it's a lot of crazy, um, crazy creatures uh, from the folklore. And I think it adds a lot of character to, uh, to the whole game. That specific creature um, uh, is interesting because as you're fighting it, it actually grows uh, stronger from eating cor corpses on the battlefield. So that that was a yeah. fun surprise. I was playing and like, holy shit, this ghoul just got bigger and like almost becomes like a pregnant looking creature <laughs> and uh, swallowed one of my main guys. And I was very... Uh, <laughs> I was very did shocked. To, did you manage to rescue him, though? <laughs> no, uh, I actually had to retreat, and then he, he just oh, okay. was uh, digested, <laughs> I suppose. Because if you kill the if you kill the monster at that point, then he will get set free again. So from the stomach. <laughs> ah, okay. That's that's a good tidbit of knowledge uh, for the future if that happens again. But <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I love the the creature design, and uh, of course, there's orcs and goblins, and uh, even they have like a very specific feel to them. They're not just uh, creatures with a different skin on them. They're they they feel very different. Fighting undead feels very different than fighting orcs or or uh, mm-hmm. regular mercen- uh, other mercenaries out there in the world or bandits. They all feel different when you fight them. Yeah, yeah, that was a big um, uh, a goal we set for ourselves that we wanted. Um, uh, players tend to have like uh, establish one strategy, and if that works, they will never change it again. So you will have the same guys with the same weapons uh, for every enemy, and it works every time. So we designed each enemy faction to challenge this this strategy. So uh, against orcs, you will have to use different weapons, have to use different setups, and um, against goblins, for example, who are very have a lot of ranged weapons you have to fight differently and so and the undead who get resurrected mm-hmm. um pose a completely new threat so um yeah we wanted to, to keep the, the the player on their toes you know to adapt to new enemies and usually some some people have that if you, if they face a new enemy for the first time they get completely destroyed and get really <laughs> angry <laughs> what kind of game is this <laughs> and um then they try uh, start experimenting a bit and and uh, after a couple of tries, they with the same crew they had. They, if you just reload the game, um, they beat the same enemy troop with no losses at all. So just by changing the strategies and the tactics, so it's it, it seems to work, and I think it's 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 important for a game like that. Yeah, that actually happened to me. Um, I, I encountered some goblins, and they were kind of popping out of the woods and shooting me with poison arrows, <laughs> and then disappearing back into the woods. And I thought that was really, um, you know, as I'm playing, I'm like, that's really annoying. But, but like as a strategic element, it makes sense. Like they're obviously physically weaker, so they're going to kind of snipe you from a distance. So I thought, I think that's a really nice touch that all the enemies have that kind of different mentality or approach. Like, for example, the dire wolves, they seem to just charge, charge right at you. They don't hesitate at all. They just come right in and start biting you. We try to get that into the enemy AI as well in the programming. So, for example, like the uh, zombies, or we call them Wiedergängers, they just come at you and they don't hesitate and have no tactics at all. <laughs> and they, the, the goblins, for example, have uh, wolf riders who are very fast and they try to circle around your line and try to attack your archers on the back. And so every enemy has, has their own little tactics. And we, we try to give the enemy, the computer who's, who's actually deciding for them what to do to, to, um, to role play them a little bit if you want to. Yeah, I like that that element of um you have to adapt to to the enemies you're facing and I found that out quickly with uh, undead also that my uh slashing weapons weren't working that well and then when I changed over to uh, uh for example a mace or a flail uh, I was you know beating the shit out of them and I thought wow <laughs> That that's actually working. So maybe I should do that from now on. Yeah, the undead are really stupid. If you if you have spear walls, you know they just run into them and they <laughs> yeah. don't care about it. <laughs> so, and other enemies will try to avoid if you have a spear wall up. And um, yeah, there's a lot of discussion you can we can have about the tactical part of the, it's the core of the game basically. Yeah, uh, like I've played a lot of tactical games in the past. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, for example, or um, the Ogre Battle series. Yeah. Or, some of these kind of games. 
I never felt like I really needed to think that much in order to win the battles. So, you mm. know, I could use the same strategy every time. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you, you have to adapt to the, to the different monsters, not just your lineup or how you approach the battle, but also the weapons you use, the armor you use. And yeah, I felt like that was a really uh, great touch to the game. Yeah, it was very important for us. We, we are big, big tactic and strategy uh, fans and, we always we always are looking for a challenge for ourselves. So that's and then you know of course when we make a game it has to be challenging. The the game is brutal as you mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I lost several mercenaries from you know getting axed in the face or uh, I mentioned the the ghoulish uh, creature swallowing them whole. You do grow some attachment to your characters even though it, it is you do realize they're probably going to die eventually. What was the goal to have the the characters be more disposable so you didn't get attached to them or was the idea to evoke more emotion from your lost brothers on the battlefield? Then we definitely uh, were looking for uh, for emotional attachment to the people and um you know, if you, you you only really feel a loss if, um, when you get attached to somebody. So um, we gave every character you you can hire a different background story um, where you can read about his former life, what he's been doing. Then they have some traits which are some are positive, some are negative, um, to give them even more character. And um, you can change their names. So a lot of people do that. They change their names to, to names they like and basically create their own characters, and which also grows the attachment. And then you have the, the very hard combat. And if, if you have some guy you hired, for example, like a farmhand or something, and um, then like 10 battles later, he's still with you and he's, he's, he's been he's slain a lot of enemies and he has, has did great deeds and everything. Then through the tactical combat and through the actions that this character performed, um, he, he will stick even more in your mind. And then at some point when he faces an orc warrior, and he, he uh, slashes him with his axe and you see the head of your character flying <laughs> through the air. It's like, okay, he's definitely not wounded. So, And this this moment of shock that we want to give into the player and this like, oh no, this was my favorite guy and now he's definitely dead. And mm. this, in a split second, you know, from one point he was okay and the next, next point his head's flying through the air. <laughs> we want to create strong emotions with that. Mm. And yeah, I hope we succeeded somewhat. The problem with that is the more you grow attached and the more important the character is, you have to give the player a means to compensate for losses. But if you make it too easy to recover from losses, then people would just throw the, their guys at the enemy and just hire new guys. So that's a very thin line. Mm. And I'm not sure that we hit that like 100%. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. I experienced that myself, um, uh, you know, had had uh, various characters that you actually start with at the beginning. And I think you grow the most attachment to them because they're the ones you start with. And uh, there's a certain element of if they go down in battle, you're you, you, it's kind of like your main character died or yeah. something in a way. And it has that Game of Thrones feel to it, maybe uh, that, you know. Uh, your your favorite character dies, and then but you have to soldier on and you know, continue, and you rebuild and continue the fight for your for your company to survive. So I do lo love that element that anyone can die at any moment, and you have to just uh, you know adapt to it. And it's a brutal world, and I think it's encapsulated very well with the whole feel of the the game, not just. Uh, not just the battle, but also the other elements of the game, which I'd like to talk about as far as maintenancing your weapons and armor 
or um, you have to deal with the various injuries or uh, some some marks have quirks that are, as you said were ne- are negative that can cause mm-hmm. you problems. Uh, what are some tips that you have uh, for new players to keep uh, their company as healthy as possible? <laughs> Let's just say mentally, <laughs> physically, spiritually, whatever. So um, the the best advice I can give is that in in the beginning you should hire more guys who are cheaper and less well-trained and because some people tend to just hire one or two guys and that's just not enough so hire lots of guys and definitely give um, big shields to most of them Um, if you have like a lot of guys with with shields then you're pretty much set for the early game and um, to keep them alive and uh Regarding the um, uh, the backgrounds or the, the the quirks, you cannot really influence the quirks because you cannot see them when you hire them because you know nobody will tell tell you that he's actually a coward when he <laughs> wants to get hired. Uh, yeah. And um, so you but you have to play to the means. You know some some uh, people for, for example have to have a, a trait that's called short, so they are a bit smaller. But they have higher defensive value and less hit points, for example. So, and some, for example, you can hire somebody who is eagle-eyed, so he can see farther than the others. And according to that, you really have to look through your guys, um, like what is he good at, what is he bad at, and then place them in the battle line according to that and equip them according to that. And um, also to the the character values that you have, like melee skill, ranged skill, and so on, like lots of different values. And you have to really take a close look at what the character is good at, and then um, put them at the at the according um, position. And also, um, a good advice is to not just take on any contract that you can buy. Uh, with the contracts, we have like three three different um, difficulties with, with uh, one, two, three skulls, and you should definitely only take the one skull contract in the beginning and yeah, if you wander out in the wild, you can stumble across hidden locations. In the very beginning of the game, it's usually not a good idea to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think I learned uh, learned that myself. Just kind of wandering around, and hey, here's a here's a little orc camp. Hey, I, have, <laughs> I haven't fought orcs yet. That's interesting. And then okay, everyone's dead. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, fun. Not only do the jobs and backgrounds uh, can sometimes have a negative impact, but they have nice surprises as well. For example, I had a tailor in my party and I had some spare uh, direwolf pelts lying around in my bag, I guess. And he made me some nice direwolf armor. And that was a kind of a shocking thing. Oh, wow. I have some cool armor to scare the shit out of my opponents now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we have, um, for all these backgrounds, we have hundreds of events that, that can show up in the game. So, and some events even show up when you have, um, uh, different kinds of backgrounds. For example, we have an event when you have a, a noble born, like a knight or something, and you have a peasant in your party, then they will get into start a fight because <laughs> they don't really like each other because one's low born and one's high born. Mm. And, or two hedge knights, for example, they start dueling or, um, if there's like a scribe, he can train other people. And so there's like lots and lots and lots of crazy events. With that, we want to, the game to give it more replayability and to, to, to give more flavor to the world. And also to keep this element of surprise in. 
when I play the game personally, there sometimes events pop up that I have never seen because uh, of our production line. Some events were just written by somebody and then put in the game by our programmer, and I've never seen all of them. There are so many. So for me, even it's like, some, wow, this is a really cool event. Um, or if you have a raider in your party and he might suggest if you're low on food to raid a farm and then you get this event where the peasants, they beg for mercy and then you can raid the farm or spare them. So we also want to give moral dilemmas in these events. And we especially were very careful not to make it very obvious, like the evil choice is always, you know, gives you always resources, but you should feel bad. But we tried to write it a bit more in this gray area and mercenaries in that kind of age were not really good guys in any way. But we wanted to give the, the feeling of, of a really medieval, brutal and dark world and basically a world where there are no real good guys. Yeah. And from the backgrounds, I can only encourage you if you have five cultists in your party um, and they have a certain level, something really, really funny can happen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. that's uh, yeah, we have lots of lots of these events. Yeah. I really like that the jobs uh, add a flavor to your characters, but also, you know, give you these nice surprises that you wouldn't you wouldn't expect and can lead to various crazy events happening. Um, <laughs> what what are some crazy events that you've heard from players regarding their company? Since it's, since every company is kind of different, have you heard any stories from uh, the community about uh, really interesting things that have happened to them? Yeah, it's uh, basically like not really about the, the company itself, but about what they did with it. And um, in the beginning of the early access phase, it was not really at the beginning, it was at the middle, that people started to uh, or find a, a certain build where they would pick certain character traits and certain equipment combinations that completely broke the game. And um, they were just, you know, uh, one guy shooting 10 crossbow arrows in one turn <laughs> with like 250% damage. <laughs> and um, like a machine gun. And um, yeah, it, it took us like one and a half years to find that out because we never thought of this particular combination. It was really crazy to see that because we thought, you know, everything has been well designed, of course. Mm. <laughs> and um, then to find some something like that. And that's, just, that's the most fun part as a developer to to set up the pieces on the board and then see what people are doing with it because people will do the most crazy things and like an only ranged company where they only use use archers in it or um everybody with a two-handed pike weapon like a, um, a greek phalanx or something mm. and it's really fun to see when people for bug reports or something they they send um their safe games and then we can have a look at, at their company and every company is completely different and is very personalized and with the names and the equipment and you can really see on an instant that they have a completely different play style and this variety that's 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 really great to see and yeah well after the um we found this exploit we uh, reworked the whole perk tree so every all of the skills uh, <laughs> we did them again mm. and i think uh, now it's it's way better than the new system when you get levels up you can obviously upgrade your mercenaries combat ability but you also can add an extra element that gives them some special ability well, one of the ones i like is mm. um i believe it's called it's something to do with your head being hard. Yeah, and then it's yeah, some iron iron head or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. something like that. Just from the top of my mind. I particularly like that one because um, that it seems to reduce the chance of your you getting your head cut off in battle, which seemed to ha <laughs> seem to happen a lot to me. Yeah, yeah, we with, with these fatalities. 
Um, you know, when you look at the game, the game, it's kind of cute. You know, the, the characters, they are in this comic style and they look really like cute little guys uh, with big heads mm. and big eyes. And to offset a little, that a little bit, we, what we made the, the graphic, uh, the, the, um, the visualization of injuries and fatalities very graphic. So with the people, the heads flying around and, and guts spilling out and screams and everything. So we, we also did that to, to offset this, this a bit cutesy art style just on the side. Yeah, like um, we, we interview a lot of authors uh, on the show that are from the, the grimdark school of, of fantasy, I, I guess we would call it. Um, mm. And a lot of people seem to think the only major point of grimdark is is the violent aspect of it. But mm -hmm. we, we think that grimdark is more about the feel of something. The the gray morality of this world is feels very grimdark in that you can make your own decisions and sometimes the good decision is not always the best decision and sometimes the the uh you know you have to do what you have to do to survive and i really enjoy that aspect of the game is that that it feels difficult to make the right decision sometimes and and that gives players lots of different replay value as far as if they want to be a nice company and you know travel and save people or they want to be more you know cutthroat company and raid villages or uh, just do whatever they wanted. Uh, so yeah, I really like that element of the game and that it plays well into the grim, dark feel of uh, a lot of the books that uh, our listeners really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And when we, uh, when we designed the game, uh, the character background, sorry, um, when you read them, there's we have like 50 different backgrounds. So one was a miller or one was a farmhand, but there are also other backgrounds, like one was a uh, a pirate raider or something. And nearly all of these backgrounds, you can there's a description why this particular person decided to sign up for a mercenary company, which is basically signing up for you know a very short life. <laughs> and nobody of them is going like I want to make a lot of money and I want to you know see some action. Most of them have a very, very sad reason uh, mm. to, to, to go and become a mercenary. For example, like a farmhand, his, his, his house and farm burned down and he has nothing left. So he has to sell himself as a mercenary or some um, a servant got expelled from his master's home for a crime he didn't do. And so he has to sign up as a mercenary. And all, all of these very desperate people, uh, which you are sending to their death uh, to make some money. <laughs> and um, I think this is a very, a very uh, important part of the game that you are definitely not a good guy, but also the people you are hiring, some of them have uh, criminals, for example. Mm. They are also not good guys. And uh, as I mentioned before, in the events, you usually don't have events like yeah, save the family or and punish the evil guy. So mm. we try to avoid that a little bit. Uh, you've introduced this creature, the Linworm, recently. Can you tell us a little bit about this uh, free DLC and what, what it entails? Yeah, it was a, an idea that we came up with after we finished developing the game. We wanted to do like a little thank you for the community and we thought it would be cool to have like a completely new creature in the game. So uh, we came up with the idea for a lintworm. Lintworm is basically a, like a wyvern. It's, oh. it's a big snaky dragon monster with only two legs. It's very common in German folklore. Mm. And um, we made it the only monster in the game that actually covers two tiles uh, in, on the tactical map. So it has like a tail and a head. 
and so it whacks around the tail and smacking people about <laughs> and then it, it bites you with the head and um, I think it's, it's, it's it also had acid, it has acid blood so when you hurt it the blood spills on your armor and corrodes it <laughs> and uh, so it adds a lot of new mechanics and we thought it would be really cool to have some sort of of fights that feel a bit like a boss fight from 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 other games where you have like one really big monster that you have to fight and uh, yeah when you're victorious you can also gather the, the blood in a bottle and, and throw it at enemies to corrode their armor <laughs> so um you know use use it against the enemies and basically it was um also we have a couple of new armor items uh, uh that are like basic armors but they are enhanced with the scales from the lindworm and I think they look really cool <laughs> and um, and a new banner for the player to choose from. So in the beginning of the game, you can choose a banner for your company. And then we, of course, added one with a dragon on it to fit the, the whole thing. Yeah, I love the, the resourcefulness of killing certain things and then being able to use their blood to throw it up, throw at other people <laughs> uh, or make armor out of their corpses is uh, pretty cool. I've always enjoyed that element. I used to play Monster Hunter when I was um, younger, and that was one of the main elements of the game is you would hunt these monsters and then collect items from them, and then you could you know build weapons and armor from their from their dead bodies, basically. And I've always enjoyed that element that you don't just kill the monster, but then you can mm -hmm. you collect something from them that you can actually use. So yeah, that that's really cool. I, I especially uh, I checked out the art for for some of that stuff, and I agree the the Linworm armor looks pretty <laughs> epic. So it's um, my brother Paul. He's doing all the artworks for the game, and um, I'm really happy that we we have him on the team because his style is very unique. It's not. Yeah, it, it's something that a, a game, you know, nowadays a game really has to stand out. And for that, you need a unique art style. And I personally really like that it's all the armor is very realistic. It's not, not really historical, but it's very close to being historical. And all the armor actually works. So you won't find these like one meter wide shoulder guards, you know, you have in, in basically all fantasy games. Mm. You won't find that in Battle Brothers. So you mainly have uh, armor that is actually uh, usable. And, you know, we wanted the world to be very believable. And uh, we don't want it to be this fantasy over the top where you have lots of spikes on every armor and um, people are, you know, flying around and everything. <laughs> and uh, that was very important to us to make it like a believable world. What also ties into that is that you as a player, you can only hire humans and you have no access to magic. And this is intentional. People have been asking us a lot. Like, yeah, I, I also want to have a necromancer on my team um, or I want to hire some orc mercenaries. That would be cool. I mean, of course, that would be cool. But we wanted this, this, uh, this uh, different levels of power that you as humans are pitched against magic and really big monsters and, and all these crazy things. And you have to survive with just a couple of, you know, farmhands or whatever you have hired. And we want to, to, to have this hero story thing going on a bit like in Lord of the Rings with, this, with the small hobbits who fight against all odds. Mm -hmm. And we wanted you to really feel special that with just normal humans, you overcame all these odds. And um, yeah, and also we wanted to keep the enemies a bit, you know, mysterious. It's like a necromancer is not just a dude with a black robe who can, you can talk to at the market, you know. <laughs> it's, it's just some crazy guy you have heard stories about and most people have never even seen one in their life. And, and then out of a sudden he stands across you on the battlefield and starts raising your own fallen brothers. And then you get, you really panic. And we want to have that, this, this mysteriousness about the enemies. And um, I think we would devalue that if you would make it accessible to the player as well. 
I think that's a good approach as far as uh, keeping the uh, game very challenging because you, you really do have to, uh, you know, if a necromancer shows up, you really do have to strategize a lot more. But uh, in close combat, you can just really bash his head and you know, he has no, <laughs> he's just an old man. <laughs> if you can get close enough to him, then maybe mm. he'd be easy pickings. But the undead armies are not uh, easy to pick off, I've, I've found myself. Yeah, that's true. What I personally really love about them is when they, the undead kill one of your battle brothers, he will rise as a Vida Ganger and fight, start fighting you. And he will actually keep his face, but it's, it's zombie fight face and his equipment. <laughs> and his name is, for example, Geofram, and then it's zombie Geofram. So I, yeah. that's something I personally really like about it. I haven't seen that yet. So I'm, okay. I'm looking forward, it's I'm looking forward really to terrifying. that. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I, I, I did for uh, researching the game further was I went on YouTube and, and it looks like you already have some very passionate fans in a, in a pretty short time period. Uh, what do you think makes this game so addictive and why do you think there are so many passionate fans already? Um, I think that's a, there are a couple of reasons for that. I mean, we have some people who have like over 800 or 1,000 hours played already, uh, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> um, but I think one one of the points is that it's most of the game is procedurally generated. So every time you start the game, you will have a completely new world map. You have new noble houses in the world, and every character you encounter is will be different with a different backstory. And um, I think that this extremely high replay value, because there's nothing that you know, other people already experienced. And if you if you yourself play the game again, you will have a completely different setup. It's a bit like playing poker. You know, you have to play the hand that, that you get dealt. But that's that's very exciting. You know, the, the cards lying in front of you and then you turn the cards around and, and um, try to make the best of it. And that's one point that this excitement of, you know, hitting it big maybe or having making a lucky find in the early game or something. It's in a dangerous world, but also an exciting world where you have lots of opportunities and the player is very empowered in, in what's happening. And the second thing is the I think the tactical combat itself, because as I we talked about this earlier, um the tactical combat gives lots of options to, to the to the player to make right calls and you can be very good at this kind of combat, you know, once you have mastered it, but it's very intuitive also. So you don't have to read like through hundreds of rules, but you just have to, to look quickly, look through the tooltips. And, you know, if you're standing on the high ground, that's a good thing. That's just intuition. You know, you don't have to really see this gives X percent to hit to the head chance or whatever. But, you know, you're standing on the high ground. That makes sense. And we try to design the whole game that you can intuitively understand the rules of it and then um, putting this into complicated rules it's something different but um, it's not needed to know all these by heart to to effectively play the game and maybe a third thing thing would be the setting that people are a bit oversaturated with this high power fantasy with like flying dragons and fireballs and lightnings and everything so with all the historical style of the armor i talked about and the weapons and it's very low power it's very brutal it's it's pretty grim and i think that's a setting that hasn't been explored that much in many games lately yeah, I think uh, that's a good point is that I think a lot of fantasy games tend to be more of the high fantasy element mm -hmm. uh, where you can be a wizard or you can be, you know, you can get a magic sword that, that can kill undead or any of these kind of things. I, I think this kind of goes back to uh, Dungeons and Dragons influencing a lot of games, uh, video games uh, through its design and 
of course, the influence of Lord of the Rings and these kind of things can make that more of a thing that people want to see uh, mm-hmm. in, in their fantasy. So it is refreshing to see something where, you, you know, you're basically hiring these desperate men to travel around and make money for you. And I think it's addictive because, uh, like you said, it's intuitive. So when you first start playing, uh, you can learn very quickly, okay, shit, I shouldn't have done that or... <laughs> or wow, that worked pretty well. So, so for example, my archers were constantly shooting the back of their, <laughs> the back of other people, uh, yeah. because uh, I would take the risk of the friendly, you know, hit, doing the friendly fire, and it's like, well, I really need to hit that guy, but my friend's standing there in the way. I'm just going to risk it, and then yeah. of course I'd shoot him in the arm or something. Um, so that that element of reality really makes the game stand out uh, amongst other. Uh, kind of fantasy games, I think. And um, yeah, we we also try to always keep a realism in the, in the combat system. So uh, we ourselves we did a lot of uh, reenactment a while ago, <laughs> and um, from that we we tried the experience of this small group combat. Uh, we tried to put that into the game and like how does a weapon actually work and what is the what is the benefit of a spear uh, over a sword, for example, or you know we and. How does armor work? And of course, it's a game and it has to be abstracted, but we try to keep it very realistic. For example, fatigue, um, that your fighters get fatigued um, from heavy armor and equipment. From our experience, that is one of the major um, influences in, in, in such combats that one side gets fatigued at some point or the morale, for example, the morale drops and people start losing ground or getting less effective. Those factors are very important in these fights, not only how, how good of a swordsman you are. And we try to, to put that into the game to make the combat actually realistic as, as far as possible. I imagine I would get fatigued uh, fairly quickly <laughs> wearing armor and <laughs> running around yeah, and swinging, swinging a giant sword at people. It's, it goes surprisingly fast. Yeah. <laughs> so um, usually at the end of the episode, we like to do a little game. So this game is building your dream team mercenary company. So from popular culture, books, movies, uh, any kind of media you like, it can be from other video games, I'd like you to build your perfect mercenary company. So I will give you a moniker uh, or a job title or something like that, and then you will choose which character will fill that role. So first, we're going to start with the thing that everyone likes in games, the tank, the big meaty guy who can take the the brunt of the punishment. (laughs) Who would be your tank in your mercenary company? I think I would like to have the Berserker from Borderlands, if you know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think he would be like a good choice for that. He can also dish out some damage, but he's a big, big, beefy guy. Okay. And then for the second second slot, uh, monster slayers are always very popular in games um, or fantasy literature. Who would be your monster slaying specialist? Um, that would be definitely the the uh, the main character from uh, the Vampire the Masquerade um, from the computer game. It's, it's quite an old game, mm. but I think it's still one of the best games ever made because it, it switched timelines from medieval time to modern time with the same character. And um, he was a really badass vampire who, of course, had to slay all the other vampires himself. And I think he would make a really great character for that. Okay. And then for the third slot, we're going to have your archer. Who is your range specialist? That's a tricky one. I'm usually more kind of a melee guy, you know. It's like being in the fight and swinging. (laughs) Um, I think I would go with... um, 
Hmm, that's a tricky one. How about hmm. how about a uh, swashbuckler type? A swashbuckler type. Yeah, we could go with um for this maybe a, like a sword fighting guy or a fencing yeah. guy. I, I would pick um of course a Gerald of Rivia from the from the Witcher series. Ah, yeah. He would be an awesome addition and um yeah, but he could fill any role, so he's kind of a joker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could. He also has a crossbow, so. <laughs> he's one of my favorite characters in fantasy right now, and I think he, uh, I think he could, he could fit into any kind of group and instantly make the group a hundred percent more kick-ass than it was before. <laughs> Yeah, what I definitely like about the, the Witcher game or the, the latest iteration is um, you talked about this gray moral thing mm. that they, you have so many decisions and dilemmas in the game where you think you're doing the good thing or the right thing and it turns out you just did the bad thing because you lacked some crucial information or there was some misunderstanding or something. You also have a lot of conflicts where there is no no winner or no loser because everybody's losing and I really like how how this you know, sometimes it can get a little bit depressing, but I think it's very realistic and and it's not not black and white. The world, the world is pretty much gray, and that that illust- the writing is also very well done on that game. Yeah, I haven't played the latest one, but um, I've played the first and second one, and oh, right. really, really I think the third it. one is a hundred times better than the other two, but it's just personal opinion. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so let's fill out the company with your roguish type. Who would be the Maybe the uh, person from a checkered background who who would supply uh, uh, lightheartedness or or uh, <laughs> add a little humor to the group. Maybe maybe we could go with uh, some character from Terry Pratchett universe. He has some. He has a lot of really sneaky guys in there, and um, and also some wizards as well. But that's something different. Yeah, Terry Pratchett's. Uh, you know, he was uh, great at creating the kind of funny uh parody but not yeah. but not too silly like it was yeah. it was funny but not over the top not always yeah. over the top so death would be a good guy to have on the group but, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he he came very 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 difficult <laughs> to talk to yeah. okay and then the final slot would be your leader who would be the leader of your dream team mercenary company with the leader i would um pick um from lot of the rings uh Boromir, the character. Ah. I know he's not very popular because he's uh, how he's going down and how he tries to steal the ring. But I think in without the influence of the ring, he would make like one of the best leaders in in the whole trilogy. So I would pick him. Okay, so that that builds your perfect company, and then of course everybody can build their perfect company when they play Battle Brothers. So you can build a big ass company, or you can have a small one, <laughs> or you can have a you know, shifty one, or you could have a heroic one. You can do whatever you want. So that's one cool thing about the game. And I highly recommend it for people who are interested in strategic games with a, with a challenge and, and like the uh, gray morality of grim dark and low fantasy setting. It's uh, definitely a fun game to play and, and you'll get lots of replay value, lots of, lots of play for your money, I think. To close out the episode, uh, what's next for Overhype Studios? Can you tell us any other projects you're working on at the moment or any sort of information you'd like to share? We have been very busy since the release of the game. Basically, we have been doing like supports and bug fixes and, and smaller changes. And then we did the um, yeah the Lindworm. We did that on the site. 
And all the while we have been working on a new project, um, but it's still unannounced. So um, people just know that we are working on something and we didn't just disappear on some <laughs> secret island or something. And um, it will definitely be a, a strategy game because that's what we really love to do. And um, But I cannot uh, tell anything else. And we, we hope we can announce it um, soon. But... Um, there's no date for that yet, and we want to take our time to have it in a state that we really feel comfortable presenting it to the people. Okay, so when the project is announced, where can people find that? You just they have to look for Battle Brothers on Steam because we're posting all, all our updates, and we're using that as a social hub, basically. And you could also take a look at our Twitter. If you want to reach us, the Twitter is basically the best place to go because we usually, usually reply very quickly. And that um, the address would be at Overhype Studios. And yeah, feel free to write us any feedback or comments or questions or whatever. Okay. And then you have a website also. Yeah, that's true. It's um, battlebrothersgame.com. And it's dedicated to Battle Brothers. So um, once we announce our new project, we will definitely do an announcement there. But I think then we will set up a new website for the new project. Yeah, I found lots of cool information on the battlebrothersgame.com. Uh, uh, lots of images of the game. So you can see the, the really cool, unique art. And you can get updates on the game. And they have a blog there. So lots of cool stuff over there. So check that out for sure. Uh, as I said before, I highly recommend people to pick up this game. If you're interested in these kind of games, uh, you won't be disappointed, I guarantee you. And you will get your head cut off probably about 20 <laughs> times. So don't worry about that. <laughs> it happens. It's normal. We want to thank uh, Jan again for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And uh, keep a lookout for future projects from Overhype Studios. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was a, it was a really pleasure talking to you, and um, I'm always happy to talk about in my my projects. And um, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, so if you're looking for more of the Grim Tidings podcast, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com/slash the Grim Tidings podcast. And if you're interested in the Twitter, you can go over to Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. And then of course we have our website thegrimtidingspodcast.com. And for Rob Matheny, this is Philip Overby saying, stay grim, stay dark, stay true. See you next time on the Grim Tidings Podcast.